Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Business Growth Podcast brought to you by ANZ, a new series for Australian businesses with me, Rachel Newman. Just like ANZ, I'm passionate about helping Australian businesses grow, and I love hearing stories about business success. I'm looking forward to spending time with some real Australian entrepreneurs discussing just how to grow a business in a sustainable, long-term way. These podcasts have been inspired by ANZ's work with the Australian Centre for Business Growth at the University of South Australia, and by the amazing entrepreneurs we'll be chatting with in this series. So, a little about me. I'm an advisor and consultant to a variety of startups, and I mentor with the StartMate Accelerator program. I'm also a director on the board of Startup Oz, where we believe that technology and entrepreneurship changes lives for the better. And so we work to influence policy and make Australia the best place in the world to launch and grow a business. But enough about me. Let's talk growth. In today's podcast, we're talking about all the different moving parts that need to work together for a successful business to grow. We sometimes refer to it in the growth program as the knowledge framework for growth. Today, I'm joined by James Tynan, just back from Silicon Valley, where he was the VP of Strategy and Operations at Khan Academy, a nonprofit that provides free online tutoring across a huge range of subjects spanning primary and secondary education. James has just taken up the reins as CEO of Startmate, Australia's most ambitious and arguably the most preeminent accelerator program. James, thanks for being here and welcome back to Australia. Thanks for having me. I want to start by hearing a little bit about your time at Khan Academy. First, how did you end up in Silicon Valley, and how did you end up at Khan Academy? Well, my story in a nutshell is uh, I started a business uh, in 2001 in kind of first year uni, sold that in 2007 when I realized uh, I didn't know what I was doing, and went to McKinsey and Company to be a uh, consultant and try to learn business. That uh, took me to New York, where I was working with a, a a friend who had started a, a uh, startup in New York called Purpose. And that took me across to Silicon Valley where I started working for, for Khan Academy. So it was a, a bit of an evolution. James, a lot of people in consulting and banking and traditional industries are looking to get into startups. What do you think are some critical skills that are important to have when you make the leap or are mm. naturally transferable? Yeah, I think that there are a couple of different things I'd say there. I think that uh, one of the skills that is absolutely required is the ability to uh, be a self-starter and to ship. So I think that people who have worked in traditional kind of middle management roles where what they've had to do is take work product from one person and kind of shuffle it to another person, uh, that's not going to be a very good uh, basis for being a founder. Um, I think that, or working in a startup, um, I think that another very important skill is to be able to work across multiple different disciplines and essentially to be a, a super learner because what is um, what doesn't work in a startup environment is to have very solid silos and very solid ideas of, well, this is my job and anything outside of this is not my job. You need to be able to jump into whatever needs to be done, learn that very, very quickly and then get going with it. And so I think it I would say that the main thing is that you need to be able to be a super learner. So given that in most startups or any high growth company, you need to be able to work across a number of different areas or disciplines. Mm -hmm. um, and looking at your time at Khan Academy, you wore many different hats. Mm -hmm. How intentional was that progression through the organization or how serendipitous was it? 
I mean, it was a, a bit of both. I, I guess the story I could tell was uh, when I first joined Khan Academy, they were looking for essentially a, a blood-sucking consultant to come make them some money. Uh, and I said, sure, that's great. But I'd just been working at Purpose, which is was all about building uh, online movements. And I started shooting my mouth off in the interview with Sal saying, you guys are sitting on top of this potential amazing movement and you're not doing anything with it and here's what you need to be doing. I'd been working with a bunch of the people from Obama 2008 and you know it was just so clear to me that there was so much work to be done on that side of catalyzing uh, interest and engagement with Khan Academy which was not being done. And uh, the, luckily for me, Sal and the president, Shantanu, went straight from my interview to their board meeting. And Eric Schmidt, uh, who was at the time, I think the CEO of Google, was on the board, had also worked with a bunch of the Obama people and started castigating Sal and Shantanu for, hey, you're sitting on top of this movement, you need to be doing all these things. And they said, oh, that's exactly what James was just saying in the interview. So that gave me a license from the get-go to, yes, come in and build business development and uh, revenue, but also to have this side project, which was um, building essentially all of our um, market-facing marketing type uh, operations, which no one valued at all at the time. It was just Khan Academy was entirely a product operation. There were only about three or four of us who weren't actively coding every day. And so, so yeah, it wasn't super, it was intentional that I wanted to do more than build revenue. Uh, but it was um, it was a bit of a, a lucky, serendipitous thing that I was that that was seen as as valuable at all. Well, it's always a good thing when you're in violent agreement with Eric Schmidt, so <laughs> that probably set you up for success. Well, yeah, it was, it was. It ended up having a couple of stages, right? Because essentially, my ability to wear these different hats was something that I built over time. So. From that, from the get-go of being able to do have this side project, the next step was then bringing in a whole bunch of revenue and uh, working with these big partners like Bank of America and Comcast and Pixar Disney to create the environment where we could do more. So essentially structuring these deals such that marketing and outreach became a big part of them. And that then gave us the platform to then build uh, a brand or the money, I should say, to build a brand platform for Khan Academy, which then became the platform that we needed to build the movement around Khan Academy. So it sounds like you had this movement in mind from the start. And it's often said that you should think about your end game when you're growing a business rather than the short-term opportunities. Why do you think the big picture perspective is so important? And how do you keep sight of it when things are moving so quickly? Great. Yeah, I think I could tell a story that really contrasts the, this, which is uh, so one of my friends while we were while I was building this at Khan Academy was had a hyper successful startup uh, back in Australia that was doing very well. Uh, but one of the things that happened was that they made a huge number of uh, investments in tactical growth hacking, essentially, you know, Google AdWords, you know, Facebook ads, and they were pumping uh, a lot of effort and money into increasing their growth. And what they weren't doing was focusing on the underlying product. And so what happened was they ended up hitting this plateau of growth where they'd reached pretty much everyone who was then reachable by that current iteration of the product. And so what the reason that keeping your eye on the big picture is important is because these plateaus exist for your product. And unless you are thinking of that big picture and how you're going to really change things on a systemic level, uh, you will hit one of those plateaus. And um, that, so for us, that was, was less of a problem just because the leadership was 
so we had the opposite problem. All uh, Sal wanted to think about was the big picture and how to make systemic change and to do that through developing the product. And what we had to do or what I had to do was really convince him that actually getting out and telling the story of Khan Academy and having more people involved in that story was a good thing to do. James, how far can a business grow without actually having a formal growth framework in place that is explicit and shared? I think you can get pretty far. Uh, in fact, Khan Academy had kind of grown enormously on YouTube with literally just Sal putting uh, content out and people picking it up and sharing it. And that was not an explicit framework that anyone had mapped out. It was just something that happened. Uh, I think that the point I'd make about frameworks is that you definitely have one. Whether or not you've made it explicit or not, you are executing to some kind of growth plan and by not making it explicit, you're really losing an opportunity to interrogate it and work out where it can be better. And I think that that's one of the things that I'm proud of at Khan Academy is that we started moving beyond this, we just put up content and hope good things happen and moved into a place where we were able to do things that, that move the needle in, in uh, various different ways. Hypergrowth companies, like the ones that you've been involved in, are often likened to roller coaster rides because there are extreme highs and extreme lows. Mm -hmm. In your opinion, what's the most challenging aspect of hypergrowth? I think the most challenging aspect of, of hypergrowth is that it is so all-encompassing. It's the scorecard on which your company is rated, and so therefore it becomes the battleground internally on which a lot of issues are hashed out. Growth becomes the, the, the thing that you're fighting about and that all different uh, internal battles get seen through this lens of how they're going to affect growth. Uh, so therefore it becomes you know, the, the chief driver of a lot of the emotions that you're feeling while you're on this, on this roller coaster. Uh, and I think that the, the real challenge is negotiating those emotions and negotiating those battles in a way that's a productive tension as opposed to a destructive tension. And I think that uh, the companies that do that well and, the, and what we kind of learned uh, at Khan Academy was how to uh, leverage cross-functional tensions uh, around growth uh, to make them productive and also to uh, make sure that we had some kind of process in place such that we were balancing the tactical things we were doing every day with the broader strategic vision that people were kind of connected to and felt like was part of the mission. Because I think, you know, these emotions are not just uh, about my my turf versus your turf. It's also uh, how do we keep people fired up about the, this, that we're going to change things in a really fundamental way when what they're doing, you know, could be more about kind of tactically growing a, a small population from day to day. So how do you kind of can make that connective tissue work throughout the organization? So it sounds like growth is a full team sport. Mm -hmm. And having a strong team around you is one of the most important ingredients for business growth. How do you make sure that you're choosing and keeping the right people? I think this is an area I'm still very much learning, um, but I think that one of the core things that has hurt me in the past has been trying to do strategy through job descriptions. So when you're trying to recruit the best team, 
one of the things that you may or may not be aware of is that uh, there are certain problems that you haven't worked out and that you don't have a clear picture of, of what you want in your head uh, as, as the answer to those problems. And the temptation is to just put them into a job description and say, oh, well, we'll hire the person who will fix this. But that tends to be a terrible mistake. What a better, A much better approach is to really learn and think about the problem yourself first and work out and even do the job a little bit yourself first to work out exactly what's required, then look at who you need to be hiring because that way you will be able to not only uh, get the right person, know what you need and manage them, but you avoid this uh, this real hole of falling into uh, hoping for someone to come save you from the problem and it, it, it gets you on the front foot. And so as you continue to grow your business and you're growing your team, how do you make sure that your company culture will adapt to growth? And what can you do to try to increase the likelihood that the team will be adaptable to the changes that growth will bring? So I could probably tell a story here, which is that um, in the United States, they have the SAT exam, and it's the the biggest thing uh, for high school students to get into college. It's across the whole country, and uh, it's run by a, a nonprofit called the College Board. And it's there's a huge problem uh, with this exam, which is that it's inherently regressive and has been for years in that... Um, you know, rich kids can afford to get SAT training from training organizations and get better scores, whereas poor kids just can't. And so uh, we had this problem, which was uh, College Board came to us and said, we want to fix this. Uh, we want the best SAT practice and training to be free to everyone. And we want Khan Academy to do it. And we thought that just sounds Fantastic! Not only because it helps address this huge societal problem, uh, but also because uh, it would be fantastic for growth. You know, if every kid in the country suddenly has a reason to engage with Khan Academy. Uh, but there were a lot of people on the team who fought against this decision, which seems counterintuitive to me because, of course, I'm, I'm the person who wants all the growth. But they joined Khan Academy because they wanted to disrupt the current system. They wanted to get rid of a lot of these standardized tests and this terrible testing environment that is uh, really punitive toward uh, certain different types of students. And they wanted to replace it. They didn't want to kind of prop it up. And so I think the real cultural problem when it comes to growth is make sh- making sure that your team is linked to your overall mission, even as you do things that are going to, you know, tactically grow the organization. And so that was the uh, a cause of, um, uh, that was the time when I started to think about how do we make sure that the team is connected to the broader idea of changing education, even as we uh, engage with the current system in this kind of more tactical way. If you want to learn more about how to grow a business, head on over to anz.com forward slash business growth, where you can find the free online business growth program. It provides business leaders with the knowledge and skills needed to grow a business sustainably, including how to choose the right growth strategy and the different responsibilities of a leader during growth. It's a rich resource put together by the ANZ Bank and the Center for Business Growth at the University of South Australia. ANZ has worked with global growth expert, Dr. Jana Matthews at the university. It really is a great resource and you might even find more episodes of this very podcast. So it's definitely worth a visit at anz.com forward slash business growth. 
You're listening to the Business Growth Podcast by ANZ, and we're here with James Tynan, CEO of Startmate and former VP of Strategy at Khan Academy. James, now in your capacity as CEO of Startmate, you work with amazing startups early in their growth journey. How do you advise them to tackle growth when they might be pre or early revenue and not yet funded? I think the main thing for new founders when it comes to growth is to understand that there is no playbook that is going to get you there, that no one has the answers for your business, that you need to go find and build those answers, and it, it, that growth is inherently a wicked problem, which means there is there's not a, a one plus one equals two answer to this problem. You actually need to uh, go out, experiment find the kind of local maximum out of that experiment and standing on the top of that local maximum, then look out and find the next experiment to do. And that's the only way that you can find your way toward uh, a real uh, and lasting growth strategy. It's not something that someone can just hand down to you from on high. This is, of course, not to say that there aren't really good things to be learned from podcasts or uh, articles or talking to mentors. Of course there are, but that you as the founder need to be responsible for this. This is not something that you can uh, hire in someone who has all the answers. You need to be uh, on the front foot kind of attacking this problem with everything you've got. James, how do you prepare for the cost of growing a business before you start seeing that financial results? Yeah, this can be really tricky, especially for early stage companies. And a story I could tell was a a company that I was working with in the US that had spent a lot of their seed capital uh, building a a really great piece of technology. But then uh, they had not yet made it to uh, the the kind of goals that they needed for a Series A round, which was that they hadn't been able to go to market and prove that there was an audience for this technology. And so what I advise uh, companies that work with us or whoever I talk to is to think about Uh, from the investor's perspective, what story do you need to tell for your next raise and then work backwards from there? Because that way you can manage the money that you do have uh, appropriately to make sure that you can hit the growth goals that you need in order to be able to make your next raise really seamless. The company that I'm talking about ended up in this kind of no man's land between seed round and series A and ended up having to do a bridging round that was very, very difficult for them and really impacted not only the valuation of the business, but how much uh, equity they had left in the business, uh, which was a shame because the technology is fantastic and it really should take over the world. Uh, It was just a a matter of not uh, planning that runway uh, appropriately. James, at Startmate, you work with companies in their very early stages. But if they are successful and achieve the goals that they have in mind, which is what got them into the program, they also are going to experience hyper growth. How can you prepare these founders as leaders that will need to lead teams through growth? I mean, I don't think anything fully prepares you for that type of hyper growth. I think it is very revealing of who you are as a person. It kind of strips away uh, a lot of the um, your ability to uh, obfuscate or pretend like you're a certain type of person when you're really under that type of pressure, I think the your core personality traits come out. So I think that the only way to prepare for it is to really uh, kind of dig into who you are as a person and try to um, try to look at some of those weaknesses and strengths and 
uh, and to do that kind of dispassionately. And I think that's what we try to do at Startmate, which is to uh, ensure that there are a bunch of mentors and other founders who truly care about you, who will give you the real talk on who you are and how you're operating in the world, which a lot of these founders have never experienced. A lot of us go through life and we never have that type of real feedback from people. And so really the, the preparation that we try to give founders is to have people who are going through exactly the same thing, their peers, giving them real feedback, and then people who have gone through the exact same thing, giving them real feedback and enabling them to have that unsentimental look at who they are and, uh, and then be able to take action. It sounds like having this external support structure is so important for leaders and teams, especially in their growth journey. For those entrepreneurs or companies that aren't able to participate in a program like Startmate, what advice do you have for them for what resources they can build externally to help them through this growth period? I think it would very much depend on the different type of business, but I, I think that something that no matter what type of business uh, you are in, you can do is... I think you can reach out to and create a group of peers who uh, you can be very, very honest with, and you can reach out and create a group of mentors who uh, will you know, help you not only negotiate very specific tactical um, problems that you have, but also negotiate your own you know, shortcomings and difficulties as a, as a person. And I think that um, those two things are really related, right? Because I think anyone going through this type of hypergrowth uh, your ability to solve problems is a function of how clear-headed and calm and in control you can be. And so I think it's um, that having those two things, peers and mentors, can really help you um, solve problems. James, what kind of risks do you have to be aware of when growing a business? What have you seen go wrong most often? There are lots of risks. Um, you know, growing quickly is incredibly, incredibly risky, and you accumulate all kinds of debt. So, I mean, one of the major ones is you accumulate an enormous amount of technical debt, uh, which is essentially a function of trying to get to market really quickly and or trying to do too many things at once. Now, some of that is unavoidable. Like, if you want to get to market quickly, if you want to grow quickly, then you will accumulate technical debt. But what you can do is not exacerbate that problem by trying to do too much simultaneously. So be incredibly focused on just doing what you absolutely need to do to hit your goals as opposed to uh, trying to you know, boil the ocean or take on multiple goals simultaneously. Putting things in sequence is a really great way to avoid that uh, risk of essentially everything falling over because you're trying to do too much. That's one big risk. Another one I mentioned earlier is kind of getting addicted to the uh, AdWords, Facebook, you know, Instagram uh, ad dollar pumping up your your core product. I think there's absolutely a place for that. And don't get me wrong, that's like a huge part of how you drive growth. But uh, doing that to the exclusion or ignoring your core product because you're focused entirely on pumping up the product through uh, these advertising channels is, I think, a, a big risk. Um, Another one, another risk I would say is is trying to plan it all out. I think a lot of founders want to have a uh, seven stage plan that they literally just kind of follow step by step, and I think that that is just unrealistic for a lot of hyper growth companies. And instead, what you need to be doing is um, 
experimenting, finding the local maxima with that, within that experiment, then looking at it, what else can we do now that we're here and continuing to, while you, you want to have very aggressive goals, how you get there, keeping that very, very flexible. And then I think the, the final risk would be, you know, getting your runway wrong, right? So if you, uh, if you start to spend more on growth than you have, then, you, you know, you, you're not going to get to where you need to be to get your next raise. So just making sure you're very intentional about uh, how much you can spend in order to get to, to the goals that you need to get to. Is, it sounds super simple, but it's, um, it, it's, it, it, it crystallizes a lot of those other risks uh, and makes them very real. Sounds like it's a bit of a balancing act between, you know, having a roadmap, but also flying the plane as you build it. So if someone came to you and said that they were trying to grow their business, what is the first thing that you would say to her or to him? Uh, I think I'd probably just ask them a huge number of questions. What is this business? Who are you? You know, what are you? What are you trying to achieve? Uh, and at what stage are you at? How many employees do you have? Like, how much funding do you have? When do you? When's your next raise? All of these types of things would uh, would you know we'd have a long conversation. But I think if I had to say one thing that I'd probably say to everyone uh, about growth is that. There are lots of lessons to learn from people who've come before and uh, done amazing things in growth, but there are no rules of thumb. So don't look for answers from people. Look for input on your plans that you can then uh, continually improve and refine. Uh, find a feedback loop. So start putting things out into the world, start shipping, seeing what happens, refining and, uh, and building your own plans from there rather than looking for an answer that is kind of pre-existing. If you're serious about growing your business, then talk to an ANZ business banker today about ANZ's One Day Business Growth Seminars. The free seminars are a unique initiative with the Center for Business Growth at the University of South Australia. The seminars are perfect for business owners looking to grow, but unsure how to progress to the next level. And they're open to both ANZ customers and non-ANZ customers. To find out more, talk to an ANZ business banker or visit anz.com forward slash business growth. That's anz.com forward slash business growth. This is Rachel Newman, and today we're talking to James Tynan about the strategy behind business growth. James, managing through growth often requires that we as leaders change the way that we lead and the way that we work. James, do you have any examples of where you've had to change the way you do things in response to the changing environment around you? Yeah, I mean, and I think this is not talked about enough, is that while there are these kind of amazing hyper growth stories and being on a roller coaster is fantastic it can actually be pretty dark at times and for me there was a a moment where we were growing very quickly i'd taken off on a huge uh, amount of more responsibility had more team members and also uh, had a little baby at home and i was just not really coping like i was not being effective in the job and uh, i was also just incredibly stressed all of the time and I looked at my calendar at one point and it was just back-to-back meetings the entire week. And I realized that it was a function of some defects in my personality and who I am. Like I have this uh, this people-pleasing DNA where I'm trying to make people happy and I'm, I'm also very reactive to problems as opposed to uh, kind of planning ahead. 
And uh, I realized that the the things that had got me to the position that I was in were not helping me be effective in that position. And so I ended up having to torch my entire calendar and essentially start again and try to impose and go on offense with the job as opposed to being on defense the whole time with trying to kind of cope with what other people wanted. And, um, and I think that that over time helped me to be more effective and to have the time to be a dad and also kind of be in this hyper growth environment. It, it was never perfect, but it, it definitely was a journey that I needed to go on. James, we often talk about growth like it's a foregone conclusion. Are there ever instances where growth is not the right recommendation for a company? Yeah, I think that, that there absolutely are. I, yesterday, I was hosting some office hours and a bunch of uh, founders you know, phoned in and I was talking to one of them about um, his business. And it became clear in the course of the conversation that his business could be a really great business, but it was not a venture-backable, hyper-growth business. It was not one of these super-scalable, this-can-become-Google-type businesses. But I really don't think that should be uh, a disqualifying factor or you know, something that influences someone to not want to work at one of those businesses or not want to found one of those businesses. It's really about knowing the type of business that you want to build. And there are excellent and amazing businesses that are not... Uh, you know, designed to scale in this hyper-growth way, but instead are businesses that can slowly grow over time and end up becoming incredibly impactful and influential in the world uh, without having kind of been in that same mold that we've been talking about. So I think that while growth is is some kind of growth and and progress is always good, uh, not all growth needs to be the same. Now, James, you've been involved in growing what is arguably the most successful education startup in the world, and we've been talking about hypergrowth. What does hypergrowth look like for you as an individual? And where's James Tynan going to be in the next few years? Yeah, I mean, it's a very uh, it's a very important question. I think for all of us, like I think that um, one of the things that can happen when you're in a hypergrowth environment is that you, as a person, uh, kind of stop growing in some ways because you don't have time to reflect and you don't have time to kind of concentrate on the things that that are important to you. Uh, for me, I think there are some you know some big things that I want to do. Uh, in terms of scaling myself horizontally instead of vertically. So I've been working in depth at, you know, at Khan Academy for you know, almost five years. Uh, now I want to move horizontally and help lots of businesses. Uh, and that's what I'm doing at Startmate. So that my next growth journey is, am I any good at that? Let's, you know, let's find out. Well, James, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that was the Business Growth Podcast brought to you by ANZ. To find out more or to register for the ANZ Business Growth Program, go to our website, anz.com forward slash business growth. That's anz.com forward slash business growth. Thanks for listening.